0: listening to For The Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty.
1: Welcome to For The Lord. This is Roger coming to you on Monday, the 7th of May. We're going to have a fun show tonight, although it's going to be a little iffy with our co-host. Marty is going to be joining us at some point when he remembers he's supposed to be here. Joe, however, will not be here. Um, His aunt-in-law, we can call it. Tart's aunt passed away. So our thoughts go out to Tart, and we, again, Tart, if you need anything at all, you know that we are all here for you. Absolutely. Now, let's jump right into Detroit Become Human. Did you get a chance to play the demo?
2: Yeah, I gave it a couple
1: runs. Okay. Did you enjoy the multiple runs as much as I did?
2: <sighs> Probably not, only because it's a demo, but I can see myself in the final game definitely wanting to like fill in every little bubble on that flowchart because of my completionist syndrome. See, but no knowing that it's like temporary and not going to matter, like I just gave it two playthroughs to see like how things branched out, but I didn't Quite obsess over it like I know I po- I probably could
1: see that was my plan actually to do just that I'm gonna play through it and see and kind of go okay well this is awesome this will be this will be fine or or be disappointed whichever one it was and my first playthrough was literally less than five minutes it was just but mm-hmm. I decided to do as my first one they tell you every second count so I'm going okay well I know this is a an investigation game as well, but I'm just going to dive right in instead and see what happens. So because of that, it was insanely fast, but still impactful. And then I went back in and tried to find as many clues as could as i could and then i got a different ending and then as i found those clues and i started referring to the chart then i was like oh hold on a second what did i miss here and then i went back and tried to find those things by the time i'd played through it five or six times i realized that i'd played through it five or six <laughs> times and it was like i'm still having fun i'm still i'm still actually uh committed to to getting as much of this unlocked as I can. And you know enough about me now after 10 years that if something is not permanent like that, I'm less likely to get involved like a demo exactly like you said, because Mm -hmm. what's the point you're literally wasting your time, but it didn't feel like a waste of time. It felt like an insane amount of fun and more so for me, at least it was that, that comfort in, okay, okay, this is it. This is exactly what I'd hoped it would be. So long as there are enough of these moments in the game, because you could have, you know, a half dozen of these quote unquote scenes. One
2: fantastic scene does not equal a good narrative. Exactly. So we don't know, but
1: if there are enough of these, well, I pre-ordered it. (laughs) Dude, I had to, I had to, I, because I played through it enough that I unlocked all of the endings and then I went in and I unlocked as much as I could. There was there were only two things that I didn't bother unlocking the other ones because they were completely inconsequential. And then there was one thing that I still have not found. Hmm. and Tristan did the same thing as I, and he could not find that one thing either. So just to let folks know, if you did not pick up the demo and play it, I'm assuming it's still available and will be, I would guess, until the game releases, which is on the 25th of May, and I know that because I pre-ordered it, like
0: I said. <laughs> uh, But
1: anyways, you you go in, and you are playing the part of Connor. Now again, we've talked about this game, so I'm not going to rehash everything you know that there are the three androids that we are going to get to play as there's kara there's um connor and oh what's the name of the other dude the one that appears to lead don't ask me shit i can't remember his name now but anyways
2: those are the three Uh, i'm happy i remembered connor yeah
1: so you play through that scene that we saw some elements of in trailers and different things with the girl being held hostage by the android on the roof now here's the thing uh, neither of us have a pro. Correct me if I'm wrong. No. So we're playing on the base model for this game, which means theoretically, and according to what some of what we've read and heard, it's going to look even better on the pro version. Holy fucking hell! Does this ever yeah. look amazing? Now, before we get in uh, too far into this as well, did you get a chance to look at that uh, PlayStation blog post that I, I posted in the show notes for the the things that some people might have missed?
2: No, I did not. Okay,
1: it's pretty freaking awesome. Not all of it, because some of it you, you kind of figure out as you're playing and whatnot, but some of it is kind of interesting So too. I remember I was like,
2: oh, I want to go back and read that after I played the demo, but I didn't play the demo until today and I'd forgotten about the article.
1: Right. So I, of course, read it thereafter because, again, I was really fucking invested in what I saw. Looking at the graphic design, because I'm talking about how good it looks, looking at it not just from a, a, a perspective of the the fidelity in terms of how realistic it looks, but also just the landscape of Detroit in 2038, 48, 30, I think it's 38, right? I believe it is. Uh, the landscape is different and it's reflective of the story because those androids are manufactured there, so a lot of the wealth remains there. So when you are on the roof and you're looking out, and this is something that I discussed with Tristan after he'd played it, because he was saying, like, obviously the story is fantastic, those choices are fantastic, so it's clear that a lot of the money went into that, and perhaps it didn't go into the the design of the city, so you can't kind of roam around freestyle, like we've talked about with uh, New York, with Spider-Man upcoming as well on the PlayStation 4. But when you're on that roof and you're looking out, it's as real as you can imagine. It looks phenomenal. Like it just looks spectacular. And like, as you're walking, at least the first couple times you play through it, I, for me, at least I had to pause and look around the city and just be mm-hmm. amazed at what you see. Like the, the work that went into that is his admirable.
2: the, art design in general is fantastic yeah. everything down to like the, the the swat uniforms i those were amazing like very futuristic but still recognizable like i love how like on the back it has essentially like an led screen yeah. with like what call they're responding to like it, it's a very recognizable but still unique vision of the future
1: and that's the big thing and i think that that is again if that's that was part of their design process that I will give them credit for that and say, that's quite clever because we are now <laughs> we're in a time now where we are looking at classic sci-fi films that aren't that old. Let's be honest from the eighties <laughs> or whatever that the time frame that the movies take place in has already passed us by and the world ain't all that different. And I'm not just talking about back to the future. There's many of them. And I think now that it's not just uh, you know filmmakers and and people in the TV industry, but also game makers now that are realizing that while tech, some technologies are advancing at you know a, an exponential rate, a, a lot of the other stuff isn't, and you have to keep that in mind when you are doing your design for futuristic, even if we're looking at twenty years in the future, because shit ain't going to be that different. And even as it is now. It's borderline kind of stretching it, really. And not really borderline. It kind of is when you're looking at the, <laughs> the skyline of Detroit. But still, it's enough that you're willing to accept it and roll with it. And the costume design is a big one for that. That's one of the things they talked about in that PlayStation blog. They this The SWAT team design, if you take a moment and really look at it, freaking cool as hell. If you look at the outfits that the Androids wear, they have to wear certain armband and different flashing insignia so that people don't confuse them with real people because they look that real mm-hmm. there's some very very clever design choices that were made that even if it's not gone into all that much in the story it's at least in the lore which leads to a lot more depth of gameplay
2: when you're when you're in there
1: and i fucking dug that
2: yeah it it's definitely a world that I I would love to spend more time in and see more of just that. That's kind of the best praise you can give a demo was it was good, but it wasn't just good on its own. Like it definitely made me want more. And a lot of that is purely from like the, again, the art design and the graphic standpoint really stood out to me as very impressive.
1: I, I liked the voice acting a lot. I mm-hmm. liked the character designs. I liked the facial animations. I liked I liked everything. I liked the manner in which the choices appear. Very, very minority report kind of looking. And also I liked how it presented your choices while still showing you what you might unlock, which is handy because of that flowchart. And this is where they do something... I I will
2: say... Uh, on that front, it, it's a demo. It's still not the finished product. There were a few times where, like, the camera angle meant I didn't see yes. the pop up that came up. Okay, it really annoyed me. I was like, I don't know what I just unlocked.
1: I will say, however, and this is in their defense, we're probably not going to start with the game with this demo. I'm mm-hmm. going to assume there's going to be a little bit more to ease us into to the UI into everything. And I found you only played it twice. <laughs> I played it a lot. It mm-hmm. did not take long till I got used to it that I was repositioning really fast to see all the, mm-hmm. the options. So uh, to me, I think that's going to be explained fairly early on. Yeah. And, and then, I again, I like the manner in which, because of that flow chart, going back to what I was saying, we're seeing that with Telltale. Uh, and we have been for a while now with those those choices and everything. And I'm actually going to touch on that ever so briefly later because I started back into Batman because I, I want to finish that off. But I like this system so much better. because and, and and I'm not into flow charts and shit like that. I'm not the completionist that keeps going back to finish different story elements or, or to see the different endings every once in a while but not all the time and and yet this because of the ease with which that option is presented i jumped on it and i loved it and i enjoyed being able to see all those other elements and to to really feel for those characters, despite the fact that this is a very closed off scene. The only frame of reference you have for these people and the androids, let's call them people, uh, is the, the, any kind of stuff that we've seen about the game thus far. And yet after that first playthrough, the first one I'm going along, this is well done. I like the characters. It doesn't take long before you start feeling for them too. And you're kind of in a way rooting for them. And it's not, over the top but it's just enough that it makes me realize that when I play the game from beginning to end it will actually, it has a potential to have that impact that I'm looking for in this game Mm -hmm. so we can probably move on from this unless you have anything else to add I, as is clear from what I've said I encourage everyone to try the demo at least, see if it's up your alley if you enjoy it and if you're anything like me, like I said, I it worked. I pre-ordered the game. And I have not been pre-ordering games lately. I've been good about it. <laughs> but this was so, one of those, there's no fucking way I'm not going to be playing this game.
2: Just out of curiosity, like, what were the different ending options? Because the two I got were saved the girl and uh, the snipers took out Daniel. And then the other one I got was he shot me in the face and then jumped off the building with the girl. <laughs>
1: Okay, that's actually the last one that I got because that's the one where uh, you need to have gotten the pistol, the, mm-hmm. the the cops' pistol, and and I had to figure out exactly how to trigger the different options for the gunplay. Which going back to that flowchart, brilliant fucking move, guys. It was it was fun to do, and I enjoyed figuring out how to do it. So different endings you're looking at. There there were a few that were. Um, self-sacrifices and Mm -hmm. uh, some others where you can assassinate uh, Daniel. And...
2: Is there one where Daniel does make it out alive? Nope. Okay, I didn't think so. Yeah.
1: So, again, this is where you're seeing where, yes, there's going to be, there are going to be a lot of choices for you to, to have. However, the elements of the story that the devs feel are the most impactful for you in trying to understand sentient androids and AI and how that is going to affect our world and not too long kind of deal, um, is is they they have a a certain amount of control over that still so they can direct the story. So I I didn't mind it because there were so many choices. So again, in terms of self-sacrifice, the one that you had... He pushes him off and then shields the girl. Right, is that the one you were talking about?
2: No, no, I got the I got the one where everybody died.
1: Okay, so the there's one where he starts to fall back. Mm-hmm. You jump forward, and if you're close enough, if you've made it close enough, you yank her wrist, and using your moment momentum, you pull her towards the the roof. Which propels you towards Daniel, and you essentially shoulder check him, and and you both fall to the ground, and she survives. One of the other ones, you kind of do the same thing, but he falls back, and you shield the girl, Emily, right? I believe it's Emily. I don't think I ever uh, got her name, actually. <laughs> I think it's Emily. Uh, and then the um, and then as Daniel is falling, he's shooting you in the back, so you die again, mm-hmm. but the girl. Lives the one that you got again where he's shot in the forehead. That was my last one that was impactful when it, because I tried, yeah. for like I was maybe on my 10th, maybe 11th playthrough at the time. Um, because a few of them failed, or or I wound up slipping into a, a, an ending that I'd already done, kind of thing. So, okay, uh, the that there's the there's one where you pull the gun and you shoot him, and he's dead. And um, there's another one where you bluff with the gun and then you shoot him down. And I think he shoots you another time. I'm sorry. I don't remember them all. Yeah, there's it, it a lot. They were they were varied enough that you, again, for such a short scene, I I felt, again, if I'd only played it once, I would have said, oh, this is fucking lame. But, man. If you go into it to play it the way in which it was designed, I I felt completely rewarded with the experience. Once again, enough so that I pre-ordered the game. So yeah, I I thought it was fucking amazing. Cool. And the little elements too, like the the fish which, again, I don't know how much it's going to be said later on, but a lot of people have been joking about that because when you look at the stats, you can look at how many people saved the fish, how many people did this and that. (laughs) and But it makes sense in the story because even though it's only 20 years in the future, we're now seeing the effects of uh, weather conditions affecting uh, uh, Um, wildlife and whatnot. So there are not a lot of wild creatures. And being able to own a fish like this is actually a sign of affluence. So even something that simple speaks volumes already of the people whose house you're in. Again, fucking cool shit. I I cannot wait to dive so deep into this game that I'm tearing apart and dissecting everything. My favorite
2: little touch was in the everybody dies ending and the cops come out onto the, the rooftop and the, the captain just kind of looks down at you. And again, good credit to the facial animation. Yep. Like I, I could almost hear him say you fucking idiots yep. <laughs> like, just with his like expression and that little uh, shaking of his head. Like it conveyed so much.
1: It was the, I knew this was going to happen. I warned them, but they told
2: me I had to let you try. Sent a robot to do a man's job.
1: Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, it was it was a great, great demo. Give it a shot. And if you like it, support them by the game. Let's move on from there. Let's talk a little bit about some RPG stuff. (laughs) That was my air quotes, my Vince quotes. (laughs) I
2: I was trying to think about how to phrase it in the show notes. and I was like, honestly, I ended up typing too much. So. to, To for some background here because I actually didn't get into tabletop gaming until later in my life. I didn't have a group of friends as when I was younger that was into it. So one of the things that got me... In-
1: I'm going to be slicing the into it out. <laughs>
2: it's going to stop with, I didn't have a lot of friends. Well, you
1: know.
2: <laughs> so one of the things that helped get me into tabletop gaming is uh, me JP. he's a Twitch streamer, he's been around for ages. He used to do StarCraft stuff, MLG gaming, and as part of his... Uh, personal streams, he started up this brand called Roleplay, which was started off with him and a bunch of other people from like the StarCraft community playing D&D on Twitch, which to my knowledge, they might've been the first people to do that. But Roleplay grew into like this huge brand. They've had numerous shows over the years, assorted D&D games, Shadowrun, uh, Star Wars RPG, one shots, and pretty much anything you can think of at this point. They stole our idea. The best. They stole our idea before we did it. Oh, my God. (laughs) Motherfucker. Time-traveling son of a bitches. But of all of their programming that I've watched, by far my favorite show that they put out was called Swan Song, and it was based on the Stars Without Number gaming system, which I know I've brought up a few previous times on this episode. So what they're doing here is now that the Stars Without Number revised edition is out, they're starting a new Stars Without Number campaign. New cast, new characters, new everything. And one thing I really enjoy about the roleplay band specifically compared to a lot of the other twitch gaming sites that are out there now is that they really put time and effort into thinking about not just you know what's a fun game to play but what's a fun game to watch you know they there's a very difficult line to balance between having a good gaming session and having something that thousands of people would actually want to view in or tune in for and you know subscribe to your channel for and they they over the years, they've really honed that formula to the point where now they've actually got like, their own Patreon going on. Like it, It's a very well-run organization, and they're doing something incredibly cool with, stars, with this new Stars Without Number campaign. So one of the things that makes Stars Without Number and a lot of Kevin Crawford's other games stand out amongst the pact is what's known as the faction system. The faction system is this entire list of rules and stuff for the GM to essentially give every NPC faction in the game stats and be able to point out, okay, they have, you know, this core of space Marines on this planet. It's it's a very nice system, like, to actually have a system in-game for helping the GM keep track of all this stuff instead of just notes randomly thrown in a notebook and trying to remember, oh, crap, where was that fleet? But it's not just for keeping track. Because every every month of in-game time, the GM actually plays a little solo campaign with the NPC factions. Because, of course, they're not static. The player characters are going around the universe, you know, causing all kinds of chaos. Well, the factions need to be doing their own things as well. Possibly even independent of what the player characters are doing. To give the feeling of a living, vibrant world that you're playing in. It's really fun. I, I really enjoy it, and what they've done here is now anybody who supports their Patreon for as little as a buck a month, I I back at the three dollar tier just so I can get like the behind the scenes videos and stuff that I really enjoy. They've set up a special Discord server, where all of their patrons can pick a faction in the game, and actually, the GM Adam Coble, uh, he's not actually deciding what the factions do every month. The people in the factions, in the Discord, are telling him what their faction does month to month. So it's giving them a lot of really good audience interaction with their viewers. And you get a few thousand role-playing nerds together, and holy shit, the things that come out of it. Because it's not just a matter of, okay, we're building this building here, we're going to attack that guy over there. This is... Last I checked, the last census had the Discord server at well over 3,000 members. Jesus. <laughs> with uh close to, I think, 20 different factions between them. Uh And everybody is getting into actual role-playing characters for themselves, writing backstories for the faction, fan arts, like, you name it. It's blowing me away, like... I joined one of the smaller factions uh, known as the Trilliant Ring. Essentially, they're like Space Apple. They're a very small company, but they make the absolute coolest shit in the universe. (laughs) So the stuff that's coming out of us, like people in my, I'm just kind of like sitting back and enjoying the ride. I don't have time to get super into a lot of this stuff people have actually like made animated commercials for the absurd products we're selling. Like, somebody made an animated commercial for a brand of ice we sell made out of a comet that was dipped in a planet of molten gold. <laughs> because why not? And then, that's not even getting into the freaking like noble houses. The, the, the main concept of the, the campaign they're running here is uh, noble house was taken out, need a new emperor, so all the noble houses are kind of fighting for control of the throne. Alicia, who... She watches a lot of the role-playing stuff. Like She watches a lot of Critical Role and whatnot. And every once in a while, she'll watch some of the role-play stuff with me, but she hasn't been as into it as I have, obviously. She backed the Patreon because this was such a cool idea. She wanted to join one of the houses. Yeah, of course. <laughs> she joined a house known as House Vela. Uh, the reason this noble house is so important is they're the ones that hold the star charts. So if you want to travel throughout the universe, you have to have a Vela navigator on your ship to do so. And then where they've spin off with that is well, since the Vela, the House Vela, is the, is the ones in the universe that are like the repository of knowledge. They're the ones that run the actual wiki for the game now. Like Alicia is an administrator on the wiki. Oh, for crying out loud! And it's, it's just, it is—it just—it blows my mind. Like there's a pirate fleet, House Vagrant, House in air quotes because they're not an house, <laughs> and. They are, as as uh, as Adam phrased it, a faction entirely of shit posters. Because in the Discord, whenever like a faction comes with like a cool piece of artwork or like a po- propaganda poster or something, within seconds, somebody from House Vagrant has vandalized it with skulls and spray paint. <laughs> There's a faction of uh, essentially a triad uh, you know a, a um, Chinese mafia in the in the game, but. If you didn't know they were a Chinese mafia, these guys are role-playing so amazingly. All of the stuff they're putting out is for their community outreach programs and the orphanages they're running. And it's, it's, of course, all fronts for criminal activity, but they're role-playing it so well. It's absolutely amazing to me. <laughs> like, I the They haven't even started the campaign yet. The first episode is coming up this Wednesday for the actual campaign, but watching the behind-the-scenes videos, the building of the lore... Uh, Adam set up a Google Doc for where people could ask questions instead of just getting pinged a billion times on Discord. And he sat down. He's like, okay, I've got 90 questions in the doc. We'll do a stream today that, to answer those questions. Turns around six hours later and he's got 280 questions. Like <laughs> people are ravenous about this. And it's been an absolute joy to just watch it unfold because this is something I've never seen anything like it in the online role playing scene. And I really hope it's successful for them.
1: Well, it sounds like it already has been.
2: Yeah. That's awesome. Very, very cool. All right, Marty,
0: are you there? All right, Marty, I thanks actually, for coming out. I was hitting the wrong button. Yeah, I'm here. There's been a police action in my neighborhood, so that's good. Um, okay. In your neighborhood, that could mean a lot of things. boy, <laughs> yeah. oh, I know. Let's leave it. Well, it was loud. I'll just leave it there. Um <laughs> Let's talk about the High Elves, I think, is where we should go, right? It's up to you. Take it. All right. So uh, v- with the uh, allied races coming up in Battle for Azeroth, there is another push to include High Elves as a playable alliance faction. Uh, this is in addition to some of the, vo- you know, the Void Elves are coming and there's already Blood Elves. And so the current controversy seems to be like, why why not High Elves? Um, You know, Roger, you're back in, wow, what's your opinion or what's your take on this idea? Um, And then we'll get into the history of, like, Blood Elves, High Elves, and all that jazz. Honestly, it's funny
1: because I I put it in the show notes because one of the the, the guys who listens to the show, uh, I think it was Mocha. Yeah, it was, who was talking about this on Twitter and saying that, He always has wanted high elves in, and will never stop wanting them in the game. And I'd heard uh, a few people talking about it before, especially with the allied races. And it was one of those things where I kind of thought, you know what? Not to say an elf is an elf is an elf, because clearly they all have their differences. And I'm not just talking in terms of exactly. It's not. uh, It's not just the aesthetics of the race, but also what they represent within the game. And I'm finding that, ironically, after, what are we, what were we they on, 13 years now? It's been a long yeah. fucking time. Anyway, more so, for me personally, uh, more so than probably at any point in the game up until this point, the race actually means a lot more to me now. And it's not just because I worked my butt off to unlock the few that I've got (laughs) unlocked now, including the void elves. Uh, but it's just that instead of being shoehorned into those few starting areas and into those few, uh, as was said in the video that I, I linked where if you're playing humans, you're specifically playing humans that lived in this area at this time. Uh, and and there's so much more that's happened in the game since then. So as I was watching the video and as I was reading the stuff from Mocha online and whatnot, I was thinking, yeah, you know what? Initially, I was of the mind that it, it probably doesn't matter all that much. We just got the Void Elves. Some of that story is kind of interesting. Not without its holes. That's for damn sure. But uh, whatever. But then I watched the video and I was learning more about it too. And I was like... Fuck yeah, they should be in the game. <laughs> like, this is... Exactly. We need to get these guys in the game because of... Very much because of the lore, because of what they represent in the game, the because of the importance that they had in all of the elves' lore moving forward from that point as well kind of thing. So because of all of that... And because of what we've seen in terms of how little difference there is aesthetically to those new races compared to the old, most of them, not all, but most of them. Really, it's not about how different they look. It's that you are part of a small subset, it feels like. Like I made a, I've got a Army of the Light Hunter now, and he used to be actually a regular old Draenei. And I thought, you know what? I work to unlock it and I kind of like the aesthetic of it. I like some of the racials, but I like that I work through that, that quest line in Argus and everything to unlock it. So it was like, you know what? I, if it had been any other race, as I said, I probably would have just leveled one from scratch, but because I tamed some fucking hard pets and some old ones that aren't available anymore. I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll actually pay to race change him. And I there's no regret there. I'm actually glad that I did. So even something as small as just a small aesthetic difference in terms of how he looks, which is true, other than killer beards. About fucking time, <laughs> Drenai gets killer beards. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, other than that, it's pretty much the same goddamn thing. And you don't see the fucking beard from the back as you're running anyway. So I, those races actually do make a difference. And if they're going to go down this route, which clearly they are, of offering different races, and they've also said in their Q&As, listen, we're going to be doing more of these. And fans are saying, this is a great fucking idea. YouTube streamers are saying, this is a great idea, keep it up. Then clearly they need to then understand that there are a lot of races and factions that will mean a lot to different Uh, different people and that they should be in there even if it means that there's there's not going to be a ton of people necessarily playing them doesn't matter that fits in with the lore of that race so it's perfect
0: yeah i I don't have any good arguments i watched the same video uh did some research so high elves have been a part of the world of warcraft mythos since 1994 when warcraft one was released and you could play you know Elves were part of the unit of the Alliance and you're fighting the Orcs and the Trolls. So the history of the High Elves and the Alliance goes back literally to the founding of this universe. Uh, And why Bungie, why Bungie, uh, why Blizzard is so hesitant to put them in there, I don't understand. Like the only thing I could think of is that they want something new in addition to something old. Um, And High Elves have been a part of the game since launch. I, it just it, it kind of boggles the mind. Like, we're getting Void Elves, which the devs are on record saying those are basically High Elves. We're getting Blood we have Blood Elves, which are basically High Elves. But you can't have an Alliance High Elf because Where you insert doing? your reason there. So, yeah, it doesn't and make any
1: sense. The, the Void Elf, I I unlocked the, the Void Elves as well, and I um I created one, but I haven't done that starting area yet. I kind of ran in and went, oh, this is new. I'll save this for later. Um, but it feels like, especially after watching that video, uh, which I will link, I, I highly encourage people to watch it. I thought it was a fantastic video. Yeah, it's a pretty uh, good one. It very much felt like a mistake. It, 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 sorry, it felt like devs that were trying to overcompensate. Let, let's try to do something new and something quirky and, and something that you know will be cool or whatever instead of just going with something that, a, fans want, B, is already worked into the lore of the game, entrenched, in fact, in the lore of the game, and, and, and three, is has got the potential to create something that is not just a, oh, that was cool, but something that's impactful. Because as much as I enjoyed the story arc with unlocking them and, and what it means to, oh, what the fuck is her name? Not Valeria is it the one that's that, that gets yeah. yes that's it an is and elf and so the, the the whole process yeah very cool and you're going oh this was interesting but there's no real impact to it uh, of that race but if we followed along with what again what's it in that video the potential of them finally giving elves an updated skin that is a blended race with the elves and the humans I was like, holy fucking hell, that's what we need more of in this game. Not just the individual races, but a reflection of what we have in our world of races mixing together and how fantastic that is and the opportunities it presents lore-wise for them moving forward. Like, that already exists in the game with, what's his name, Arathor or... Yeah, I think that's who it is. Erathor, yeah. Yeah, so it's already there. If they kind of worked with that and presented more of that, again, that's literally a reason to create an alt, to play through that stuff and that starting area to to get that story. And it could be written in such a way that there's a huge impact to it as opposed to what we got with the Void Elves.
0: Yeah, and I just want to do a quick uh, history recap. Um, So you know, of the entire lore of Elves in World of Warcraft. Uh, Basically, from a gameplay perspective, though, and from a game perspective, High Elves and then Blood Elves have been apart since Warcraft 1. Uh, But basically, in the lore, the Night Elves start playing with Arcane Magic. They come up with a sect of Night Elves called the Highborn. The War of, I don't know, the War of the Ancients happens, and they split one team, one team basically goes t- is exiled out to the Eastern Kingdoms. Another goes to Dire Mall basically, and sets up their own like secret city, which we eventually go in and raid. Um, those elves eventually join up with the Alliance, our founding member, because they recognize the innate magical potential of the human race and can push back against the trolls, kind of, you know, uh, basically using early humans to be shock troops, but whatever. Um, then fast forward to Warcraft 3 uh, after the fall of Lordaeron and the fall of Highmoon uh, basically uh, the prince of the high elves Kael'thas, uh pledges allegiance to get fell magic hence the blood elves are born and this is directly a result of uh, a Lordaeron human named Garethos who was just a total jerk in Warcraft 3 uh, but then a group of elves remained with the Alliance, turned their back on their Prince and said, we're not going anywhere. And you can find them everywhere. They're in burning crusade. They are in um, Wrath of the Lich King. They're in Warlords of Draenor. Like you literally in Warlords, I think it's Warlords, or maybe it's Cataclysm. In one of those X-packs like Silver Covenant troops go around murdering Sindori in Dalaran, because why not? I think that is more. I think that is uh, misapendaria. That's actually when that one happens. So, the only like I agree with you, Roger. I think the devs at this point are just being petulant. Like we've said, we're not going to include them. Here's your shiny blue, purple uh, high elves, and be glad that you get it. I also am wondering if they're saying no yet because they're working on a new skin based on this idea of like you have debased yourself and you're mixing with impure races, which is. a lot Uh, I gotta be honest. That's not a phrase I want to see in a video game unless it's coming from a bad guy. Um, But I do think the idea of high elves becoming something different than every other race of elves is totally worth it. Basically because this is a race that has been in the thick of it since the beginning of the entire franchise in 1994. So it's, it's going to happen. I think I just, think that they're working on a better skin and it's going to take them a little bit more time since there's, it seems it's going to be a little bit more intensive than adding new antlers or making you purple. So it's,
1: I'm not as confident that they will put it in just because they've been so snarky and dismissive of it. It Really? Like, surprisingly so, actually, <laughs> for something that they created for them to be like, listen, blood elves are these high elves, okay, <laughs> like, let it go. Uh, so it's, I don't know that they'll put it in until you get some new blood in there that are like, fuck yeah, let's put them in. It's Just an opinion, but I can see it going that route. That said, if they ever wanted to put a fan service element in, that is still tied to the lore that they created and still has the potential to be unbelievably awesome. Man, could they ever do it with this?
0: They could. And I also think that um, maybe one of the reasons why they're holding back is the lore that's coming that we don't know yet in Battle 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 for Azeroth. I think that maybe what we could see happening is the decimation of the Silver Covenant. So it's like, there are no more Alliance High Elves. I mean... Anything, even that though, there should still be some remnant of them. But
1: yeah, but there's the the problem with that theory is that they're kind of split everywhere, so unless there was a coordinated attack or you know some sort of virus that only affected those, which is ridiculous and would be a horrible story element for them to put in, there's there's no way that they can do that. I mean, fuck, aren't they in uh, the the uh, the tournament up uh, by Alduar? Yep. So, like, yep. I mean, they're fucking everywhere. <laughs> like you, you, you can't
0: just drop a bomb in one place and kill them all because motherfuckers are everywhere. Yeah. No, you could drop a bomb and kill a lot of them, but yeah, you wouldn't kill all of them. Oh
1: yeah. From that um, point on, most of them, any new ones will be inbred. We can agree on that. <laughs> but the they they still wouldn't get them all. But no, I I agree. There could be some really cool story elements if they went down. And where you're saying how you don't want certain um, racial profiling and things like that in a game, unless it's from a villain, that's the thing. It could be used to really powerful effect if it's written properly. Because it is something that, A, exists and is one of those things where, racist assholes will be racist assholes wherever they they are whether in film tv or or games so if presented in such a way that it's very clear these are bad people then that presents a, a story element that well i mean we've seen some of that in wow already by virtue of the fact that most like the orcs certainly have no love for the trolls and and Certainly the the Elves don't either. So we already see some racial profiling existing. So it wouldn't be completely new to the game.
0: Yeah, I I can see that. I just, I'm reminded of a quest line in Aldham, which was supposed to be a tribute to Indiana Jones, Raider of the Lost Ark, uh, but ended up just really going a little bit too deep into the, the Nazi analog and not executing it very well. Um, which gave a whole bunch of my friends who are Jewish who played, who played the game at that point. Like this is really creeping me out. Uh, really now? Oh yeah.
1: Now you'll have to forgive me because it's been fucking years since I played that. And I, I legitimately do not remember. I remember doing the quest cause I remember doing some stuff with that character, but it, and I, I don't recall what you're talking about. So either I didn't do it or maybe it didn't phase me, which is possible though unlikely, but, It was that bad.
0: It was, it really creeped out my buddy Ruben and he, because there's like a a concentration camp analog and they're talking about, I think it was like goblin purity or some sort of like orcish pure, some sort of purity. And um, it got, like they're talking about some sort of a gas. It was, if I remember that part right, like I just remember Ruben being like, what the fuck, Blizz? And he wrote an essay about it and I don't think he ever sent it in or ever did anything with it, but it- you know, uh, Ruben was one of the guys that I played WoW with, and one of the reasons why I don't play as much anymore. Um, hmm. I walked away like being, yeah, fuck that shit. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and
1: with that, let's move away from WoW. <laughs> Leave it on a high note. Uh, (laughs) Warmind is tomorrow. Or if you're listening to this, who the fuck knows when, I'm going to release it. It's already been released. (laughs) So, Marty, sell me on. And me and everybody else who has not played Destiny 2 in a long fucking time, tell us why Warmind
0: matters.
2: Okay. Because we already paid for it. Done. That's it's the only
1: thing. On.
0: <laughs> That's issue one. Like if you already paid for it, you might as well enjoy it. And I am going to enjoy the hell out of this. Um, so there's a couple things that make Warmind uh, pop in a lore sense for me. And the number one thing, this is what I was uh, talking about in Discord, Roger. There will be items together, secrets that have tidbits of lore in them. Like uh, the Calcified Fragments or the siva yes. fragments from destiny destiny one this the dead ghost that
2: was my yes. favorite part of the first Destiny.
0: so uh i think it was from the polygon article about what's coming in war mind and there's a secret heavy event and we're going back to mars and somehow Resputin is now on mars which i could explain some of it but not all of it um But basically, that right there, the return to some sort of secret lore delving and exploration bit, that right there, if I already did not own Warmind, I would probably pick it up for that. Um, But I am an easy sell for this because I still play. uh, And it is like one of the fun things for me and my friends from college to get together and do. Here are some other things that are going to make this game a little bit more fun. Quality of life improvements are coming. Eververse changes are coming. Uh, and we're getting a new raid and we're getting two new strikes. And uh, the next season, we'll also see uh, some serious improvements to, oh, God, it's escaping me. Um, there will be more changes to exotics and more exchanges to uh, quality of life in terms of different ways of handling shaders. But we'll start with the most important thing. Uh, well, we start with the most important thing, which is the lore increase. But let's start with the money sink and the time sink known as Eververse. Uh, they are releasing something called the prismatic matrix, which will shift the content and put it, uh, shift the vanity content into something more rewarding for just going and playing the game rather than uh, random numbers and you, uh, less like no repeats um they've built this thing so that you will you're guaranteed to unlock stuff from this thing called the prismatic matrix if you you know get your three bonus levels per per um your rusted levels is what they are uh and you earn as much as you play you can still buy silver if you want it will be dropping fewer to zero duplicate items and uh things are pushed and they're also increasing the size and the number of things that you can buy either with silver or silver dust or um, other ways of generating that uh, virtual currency. Um, Can I ask a question please? Of course. The uh, do you know, or have they talked about
1: whether or not the silver dust was changed is going to be changed so that you can use it like a currency I want that chess piece. Here's your silver dust. Or is it going to be the same thing as before where you're just using the silver dust to buy engrams and hoping it unlocks that chess piece that you want?
0: So, so far, it does not look like that specific, that specific change is being implemented in this patch, but I believe that is coming, or at least I've read so many articles demanding that it's coming that I think Bungie will eventually relent because at this point, Uh, given the decrease in interest in Destiny 2, they're going to have to make additional dramatic changes to keep people coming. Fuck them Um, if they don't,
1: because I'm sorry. That's (laughs) the idea of paying for a chance at something is utter fucking bullshit.
0: Yeah, and giving us uh, faster ways to get the chance of getting something does not actively um, let us get that item sooner, but... um, Uh, Eliminating the duplicates and reducing the number of duplicates that you get. So for example, uh with a bright engram, I kept getting the same three shaders uh over the period of a couple of weeks. That is allegedly not going to be the same thing. And the way they're changing shaders is coming uh probably in season four. Um, what else is going to be? Oh yeah, I just want to read this bit about the prismatic knockout list. Um Every player. Uh, so regardless of whether or not you buy Warmind, mind, this is a change coming to base destiny 2 um, you're going to be guaranteed to get a featured item for the week. If you buy 10 activations of this new prismatic matrix, which just happens by playing the game and unlocking milestones. So it's a step in the right direction, but it's not, you know, you're not at the destination yet, so I don't think um, Well, honestly, I think they're going to have to change it. Um, What else is coming is uh, they're bumping the difficulty for heroic strikes and adding modifiers uh, to that and to Nightfalls, which is from Destiny One. Like, I remember uh, there was a strike, uh, the Will of Oryx, though, the Will of Crota. And if it was on Arkburn, good luck playing because it was just brutal. Um, It won't be that bad. I hate that shit. You hate the 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 tweaking and the of the mechanic?
1: Yeah, when they start changing it with those specific things, it's like the fucking thing that they have where you have to keep running to get your life back. Oh. Those mechanics are fucking horrible. If it's just, okay, well, you can't use your arc weapon, so make sure you have something that uses another element. Okay, that's different. That's fine. But when you're looking at the other when they try in my opinion, it feels like they're trying to be clever. So let's just put a thing in there like that. You have to run, so you wind up just running in a fucking circle, like somebody who lost an eye and has been concussed. And it's
0: it's not heroic; it's
1: horrible.
0: So if that's so for, what they're planning, fuck! I hate that. That that no 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 no. It's called they're called burns and singes, and it's elemental damage input output is increased. So for example, like to go back to that will of Crota, uh, heroic strike. If you were playing that with Arc, and because she would throw Arc at you, you would get wrecked by it. But sometimes she would have an Arc shield, so you would have to wear, you know, you would have your Arc sniper rifle or your Arc fusion rifle and take her out that way. Um, and I know you also did not like this change because uh, I saw the tweet, Roger, where you said no skill required for the exotics, but the point of the exotic weapon is to give you the one super cool fun thing to use. And I, from what it sounds like escalation protocol, which is their version of horde mode. I don't think it's, I don't think using your exotic is a guaranteed kill. Um, but then again, I also thought that, um, the forest was going to be super cool and it turned out to be good (laughs) in theory. Uh, just not perfect. Um,
2: that that's is called, the oh, no, understatement you, of the century. No,
1: You're pulling off a fucking when the reporters are saying, he didn't lie, he changed his mind. No, he lied, motherfucker. And you can say it. The force, infinite force is bad. It's bad. It's not just, <laughs> it could have been a little better.
0: No, it's bad. I I don't hate it. That's the thing. I'm pretty, It's I'm pretty mad on it.
2: I've seen I, some pretty cool I don't hate it either because I haven't gone back in. No. Oh, that's fair.
0: Yeah, the moment
1: you have to do it more than four or five times, that's when you're like, oh, for fuck's sakes, come on.
0: No, it, it, yeah, I I hear that. And I think they could have done something differently with it and maybe they'll improve the technology so it's better um, for the next expansion, which will be coming out in September. Um, I think that's when the next big expansion is coming.
1: But going Um, back to the point that you made, though, about the exotics, the thing is is that unless they are tweaking very specific exotics it will be a no skill required because some of them already are already so unbelievably powerful as we saw in destiny one as well and they're doing the same thing here where you pretty much want to be running that build because that's the one that obliterates everything Right away, like the fucking pants for the uh, the the. Holy shit! It's been a long time since I played this game. <laughs> the bow spec, the 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 pants for yeah, the blow spec, dead. bow spec. What are the pants? the rig? I I, maybe that sounds familiar. So yeah, you want to be using those. Well, if they bump that. It's already fucking crazy
2: what that you can do with it I think it's more of a matter of bringing the other things up to that level so they're all that's what completely I mean ludicrous. yeah
1: if they exactly if they can put everybody on the same keel, level keel, but we know that's not gonna happen it it, it hasn't happened at any point in testing anyone Sure <laughs> it ain't gonna happen all, too.
2: all I'll say is my favorite weapon in the game is finally getting the change that I always wanted for it. That being the hard light weapon is now getting the function just like the Borealis, where you can switch the element. Yeah, that's awesome. Going to your fucking inventory every twenty seconds. That's all I want. That's going to be fun. I'm happy. So, one of the things that we're going to see is like the
0: grav, not the the graviton forfeit, is getting an extra couple of bullets, Um, but the tractor cannon gun is getting the suppression ability, and so in PvP, I see that going to be used all the fucking time, Um, so I get that, but I, some of the weapons are just there to be more powerful, and I think with I do think that they're going to be, they're tweaking and rebalancing for PvE and PvP all the time, and they have not yet figured out how best to balance that, and it took, I mean, it took Blizzard forever to get to where they are in terms of PvE and PvP, and I it's been about a year since I played directly in WoW to, to give a good comparison, but um, there will be uh, additional adds and tweaks and new uh, exotic weapons coming down the pipe, including exotic masterworks, which will be, uh, there's a bit of a quest, there's a bit of a grind, and uh, then you'll be able to unlock the masterwork version of some of the exotics, and we'll see when the others are coming up. Uh, there is also an inclusion of a new, uh, there's also, I just got to talk about it, Um before I talk about the Relic Weapon, there's an exotic sword coming, uh, and I fucking love swords, and I busted my ass in Destiny 1 to get all three. Um, and I think, yeah, I did get all three exotic swords. So it was pretty it was pretty awesome. And we're getting one new one, which it looks like it is a cross between the Lightning Sword from Destiny 1 and the Void Sword in Destiny 1, and you can blink with it, which uh, from the... Trailer released earlier today looks like a lot of fun to play with, especially in that horde mode that's coming out.
1: I love the swords, too, because they tend to have really interesting mechanics kind of thing. Yeah. And it's just enough that you actually do want to stop and think, okay, which one am I going to take? Because it depends on if you're PvE or PvP and if you think it's going to be fast kills or not or whatever. So, no,
0: I agree with you. The swords tend to be a lot of fun and the pants the magic pants for the voidwalker are the orpheus rig which uh in yeah. pvp i was never able to use to any degree but there was a couple of times in uh especially for public events where i would like was me and three other hunters and I don't know how many orbs of light we generated, but I think we generated all, all
1: of, them. of them. Yes, I agree. And actually I found that it was useful in PVP. I initially had watched a lot of videos where they said it's useless in PVP, but no, it interrupts them. So if you shoot yeah. at somebody, it'll interrupt their, their special or whatever. So it fucking, it destroys in PVP actually, if you use it effectively.
0: If you use it effectively, but I am not like my style of play never lent very well to that particular right. spec. So uh, suppression is not my jam in PvP, um, but I totally respect people that can pull it off. So All I'm right. at it. anything else in Warmind that we need to care about? One more thing: uh, there is a Horde mode that I briefly talked about called Escalation Protocol, which you will be facing wave after wave of hive uh they're called the frozen hive they're related to uh a two lore characters one that gets one mention in destiny 2 which got everyone a buzz Uh, excuse me destiny 1 and made everybody a buzz and uh a worm god that is mentioned throughout the lore called the books of sorrow uh so basically you're gonna fight you can anybody can activate it um it's they've done horde modes before. And what's making this one different um, is that it continues to escalate. It's out in the, it's out in the open so that everybody can do it. Uh, and the rewards for doing um, escalation protocol are going to be greater. I, and I lied. There's one other thing, the destiny 2 uh web comic, which right is 100% my jam written by Mark Wade inked by Chris Anka. So those are two, like, wow, they didn't pull punches, huh? Exactly. <laughs> Top tier comic talent, uh, talking about Anna Bray, who's been a, a character mentioned in the lore since destiny one, you find Bray material all throughout destiny one in destiny two. And now we find out that she, not only is she alive, she's a guardian and Rasputin is calling her the investigator. And she's looking into what's going on on Mars. And uh, I highly recommend the web comic, uh, Chris Anka as a colorist it's so pretty amazing and Mark Wade uh you know writes some pretty good comics <laughs>
1: that's, that's gonna
0: be a zapth
1: <laughs> Mark Wade Mark Wade writes pretty good comics <laughs> yeah all right let's move on from there and just briefly touch on the trailer that dropped for Red Dead Redemption 2. this was close to a pre-sale for me too. <laughs> After watching this, God, I am. It looked pretty fucking good. What did you think, Fitz?
2: Yeah, because if you remember, at with the la- the second trailer released, I was a little apprehensive. I was like, okay, they're leaning a little hard in this trailer to the whole you're you know a terrible person side of things, and this trailer is exactly the counterbalance I needed to that one. Of yeah, I mean, it's still death and destruction going on, but this really kind of set that death and destruction in a larger narrative, like much more story and character focused, not, not as much action going on. Like the voice acting was great. The music as always in red dead is phenomenal. And it, it, it gets back into like the real core of the franchise that, yeah, you know what? You could be a badass fucking cowboy and go out there and do whatever the hell you want, but there's going to be reactions to your actions. There's going to be consequences. You might not always want to pay that price. And that's, this trailer really hammered that home and hit that note that i've been missing from this game since it was first announced so absolutely yeah. and then as an aside the, the upsetting it in the time period where the wild west isn't really all that wild anymore you know it's becoming civilized this is kind of like the last ride for a lot of these characters like that's going to lead to a lot of really cool story points as well like i i'm, I'm really into this now whereas i was a little on the fence before
1: uh, it's Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. It's mm. it's it's getting to the point where it's getting harder and harder for them to rob trains and <laughs> not get caught. And that's exactly what this was. You got the fucking train heights. and I'm going. Oh, oh, oh. I almost fucking <laughs> orgasmed. It was awesome. I was like, this, yeah, this is this is what I hoped it was going to be. And yeah, I'm I'm on board with this for sure. All right, with that, we are actually going to call it a wrap. Thank you very much for joining us. You can find the show notes, of course, at forthelore.com. You can find us on Twitter at forthelore. Individually, Joe is loaderzj, Vince is Simodian, Marty is Officer Gleason, and I am Zen Buddhist. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher. And make sure to check out uh, Comics uh, All Comics Consider, which is Marty's comic book podcast. Talked a lot about comics tonight. He does a great job with his crew on that podcast. With that, we will talk to you guys next week. Heard him say,
0: that she had the longest, blackest hair The prettiest green eyes anywhere And Marie's the name of his latest flame Thank you for listening to For The Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at ManelliJamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by
2: picking up his CDs.